Um, first reading, Psalms 65, 1 to 8, on page 569 of the Bible there. Psalm of David, a song. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. Matthew 8, and we're starting at verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs were feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Well, uh, keep that passage open there in Matthew's Gospel. We're going to be looking at that uh, as we continue through tonight. 
There's also uh, an outline. Uh, hopefully you got one on the way in, or if you didn't get one, uh, then I'm sure maybe uh, Belinda could, uh, if, you just want, if you'd like one, you could put your hand up and Belinda would bring it uh, to you. Uh, that'll just help you as we uh, go through tonight. I'm just going to raise this a little bit. I should have done it earlier. There we go. Well, if there's something of value in the world, uh, then to get it, there's always a cost, isn't there? There's a cost. So many of the free offers in the world uh, still involve you actually giving something in return, don't they? Uh, it might not be a financial cost with those things, uh, but there's a personal or a privacy cost. You've got to give them your details, maybe put up with a bit of extra spam in your email. But costs themselves, costs aren't necessarily a bad thing. You see, if you, I don't know if you've experienced this, if you get something for free, then often sort of don't care for it or, or value it quite as much. If it was free, you know, and then if it breaks, well, you know, it was free. Um, whereas if you've paid a cost for something, your attachment to it is greater, isn't it? You know, I, I paid real money for that. I want to look after it. If having this or keeping it uh, involved some sacrifice, uh, well, then you're not just going to let that go to waste. Well, tonight uh, we we see here, we're going to see that when it comes to following Jesus, there's actually a real cost involved in that. A real cost involved in following Jesus. That might sound a bit strange because we often think about the gospel, the, the good news of God, as a free gift, and that is right. Actually, we're not saved by any merit of our own. There's nothing that I can do to secure my place in heaven. Nothing that I can do to earn entry into God's family. All I can do is put out my hands and receive a completely undeserved gift. Forgiveness and new life. So then, what's going on tonight? How can we be talking about a cost of following Jesus? Well, I'm going to keep using that word cost, but there's other words as well that we could use to describe what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, consequence. What's the, the consequence of following Jesus? What's the implication of following Jesus? What does it mean for our lives? How do we live as his people? That's where we're headed this evening. So why don't I uh, lead us in prayer and then we'll jump in and, and have a look. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that it's a bit cooler now. Uh, Lord, please give us eyes to see your Son, Jesus, today. Give us minds to understand and hearts to love you and live for you. Amen. Now then, following Jesus, what does it mean for our lives? Well, uh, verses 18 to 22, it's going to mean commitment. Look with me there might have it on the screen as well. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. A teacher of the law came up to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever, wherever you go. Jesus replied to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
the crowds have been with Jesus over the last few chapters, the last little while. Jesus has been preaching and they've gathered and listened to him. They've followed him as he healed the sick and as he released people from uh, the oppression of spirits. Interestingly though, back in chapter 5, seeing the crowds, Jesus withdraws. He kind of goes up onto a mountainside and, and brings his disciples to him and, and then the crowds kind of follow him up there. But he does it again here. Did you notice that in verse 18 at the top? When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to withdraw to the other side of the lake. What's his motivation? What's Jesus doing here? Well, it's because of why he's come. Okay, It's because of why he's come. Let's have a look a little bit more closely. A teacher comes and says, uh, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have, have nests, but if you're with me, you've got to know that I don't have a place to call home here. You see, it's easy to accept someone's Facebook friend request, isn't it? It's kind of not, not really a high bar, uh, uh, something of significant or great consequence. It's easy, maybe in another circumstance, when you're talking with someone to say, yeah, you'd be happy to help out. Uh, you, you'd be right there. It's easy to say to someone's face, yes, I'm, I'm with you on that. But it's much harder, isn't it, to follow through with actually keeping your word. To be there when it's tough, when it's hot, when it's 47 degrees. Oh my goodness. To be there when you're tired when everyone else has gone home or given up. You see, Jesus isn't here to get the most number of Facebook friends. He's not here to get enough followers to then overthrow the Roman government of the time as they kind of, as the people make him king by force. That's not why Jesus has come. He's come to make real, genuine disciples. Followers of him, followers who stick with him through thick and thin. He doesn't just want the words of commitment, teacher, I'll follow you, I will. He wants the substance of commitment. But to what extent? What, what's he talking about here? Well, let's have a look at the next few verses. Another disciple. They'll come. There we go. Another disciple uh, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. How far does Jesus want us to go with this commitment? Well, pretty far it seems. It seems pretty out there, pretty audacious that Jesus says something like this. You know, leave your family and come and follow me. It sounds radical. And, well, that's because it is. That's because following Jesus needs radical commitment. That's what it means. Following Jesus means radical commitment. Going the distance. Going the heights. Is Jesus a bit harsh here? Insensitive, maybe? Well, no, I think he's just painting a picture of the stark reality that following him means putting him above all other things. Above family, above 
yourself, above your pleasures, above sport, above school, above work, above everything. Putting Jesus first. At that time, it meant physically following Jesus. You know, we talk about being followers of Jesus, following Jesus. Well, back then they actually did, you know, walking, legs, following Jesus. And we'll think more about what it means to follow Jesus for us. But if sin is saying I'm number one, S-I-N, saying I'm number one, I like that, then following Jesus means having Jesus as number one. Does Jesus just have an inflated view of himself? You know, he's up there with self-importance. Well, let's keep reading again. Verse 23. Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. A massive storm comes up on the lake. The fishermen, the career fishermen are afraid. And then the disciples, in verse 25, come to wake him. They say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus replies there, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. In the midst of the storm, the disciples are fearing for their life, for maybe Jesus' life as well. They're clearly hoping, though, that Jesus can do something, otherwise they, they wouldn't have gone and, and woken him up and cried out to him. Although maybe it was you know, more of a, come on, Jesus, get a bucket and help us bail out the water. But we're not quite sure what they're expecting. But what we are sure about is that their fears of the storm are kind of butting up against their faith in Jesus. And their fears are kind of pushing their faith down rather than the other way around. You of little faith, Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Maybe a better rendering of that, you of little faith there, is, is poor faith. Kind of not so much about a, having a particular quantity of, of faith, but more about having your faith, your trust in the right thing. A full understanding of what you're trusting. Knowing and trusting the full truth about who Jesus really is. He's God's King. The king over everything. And he's come and his plans and purposes are not going to be thwarted by a storm on a lake. Well, Jesus gets up and he calms the wind and the waves with a word, doesn't he? It's, the disciples are simply amazed. In fact, I, could, I feel like if I was there, I would probably have been amazed as well. Have you ever tried that yourself? Have you ever, you know, a big storm comes up the valley and you go outside and you, and you stand there and you, you shout because you probably need to do it loudly. You say, quiet wind, stop rain, be still. Has that ever worked? No. It's, it's laughable, isn't it? 
You and I can't still a storm with our words. They're powerless against the weather, just kind of swallowed up by the power of the creation around us. But it's not like that with Jesus' word. You see, he spoke. In fact, the wind and the waves had heard his voice before. He was the one who spoke and made the seas and the air. And all at once, everything was calm. What kind of a man is this? Who has this power? Well, as Jews who knew their Old Testament, they would know that it's only Yahweh, only the Lord, the God of Israel, that has power like this over the seas. What kind of a man is this then? Well, he's one who calls for absolute and radical commitment. He's also one who deserves it, isn't he? But we, we find that hard, don't we? We find that hard kind of as as we look at the disciples and he's calling on the disciples to trust him rather than fearing the storm, rather than fearing what is fearful. But you see, it's after the storm is stilled, suddenly they realise something about Jesus. They realise that there's something, or rather someone, more scary than the storm. There's someone before them who is more dependable than dry land. And it's this one, Jesus, and trust in this one that Jesus says is meant to trump and push out all of their other fears and and things that they might have their faith in. Whatever else they've been trusting in, their their fishing skill, their boats, their friends, their, their weather predictions themselves. All of those things have got to go because of trusting Jesus. That's got to take prime place. Trusting themselves has got to go. For us, trusting ourselves has got to go too. That's a, that's a hard one, isn't it? We, we find that hard. You know, we might be willing to willing to, to hand over the reins and to, to, to give Jesus control, at least for a part of it, but we, we find it hard to do that completely, don't we? We'll think more about that in a moment, about what it means to face our fears and, and give Jesus that control. But let's just look more briefly at this last section, verse 28, uh, where it really seems that there's no willingness to pay the cost and to take up faith in Jesus. Well, we see there, verse 28, Jesus and his disciples, they arrive at the other side of the lake, the the Gadarenes. This is uh, Gentile territory, uh, hence the pigs and other things. Now, there's uh, two men that they meet, and they're wreaking havoc there. Wreaking havoc, they're, they're captive to demons, and no one could subdue them. Now, the demons, they recognize who Jesus is, it's quite stark and you kind of, you've got this 
the disciples in the boat saying, who is this man? And then they come to the other side of the lake and the demons say, son of God, what do you want with us? They call out to him. But you see, for them, knowing who Jesus is doesn't actually mean that they trust Jesus. They, they know that their end is coming and they just kind of hope that it's not yet. What does Jesus do? Well, he drives them out. But he allows them to enter this herd of pigs. And just as they've been bent on destruction in the lives of the men that were there, so the herd at once go mad and kind of charge down the hill headlong to their death in the lake. And the reaction from the town, what are we to think of that? What's going on here? What does this mean? Well, you might have questions about you know, whether demons exist in our world today and, and I'm afraid we don't have time to go into all of that, but I just want you to notice a few things here. Notice just how awful an existence it actually was for those men, living among the tombs, away from the rest of the town. They're out of control, feared by all. There's destruction in their lives because that's what the demons are on about, destruction. And the whole town, well, they've been living with that effect for who knows how long. But notice what happens when Jesus comes. Jesus comes as the powerful Son of God and he uses his power to serve these men. He frees them from the torment and destruction that they've been facing. It seems amazing, doesn't it? Yet, the people of the region reject him. Strange. I think we're supposed to be a little bit kind of, what's going on here? Scandalized. Why would they do that? Like, just think about it. Not only is there a complete, a clear comparison here between these havoc wreaking, destruction bent demons and a sane and serving Jesus. But it's also just a kind of straightforward case of winner, Jesus, and loser, demons. You kind of want to be on the winning side, wouldn't you? Even the demons acknowledge Jesus' rule. There's no denying who's boss here. But I think that that sadly the people there, I think sadly they think, better the devil we know. Better the devil we know. Maybe they think they're kind of being neutral, kind of somehow. You know, we just want to stay out of this, you know, don't want any part of it. But, but Jesus doesn't allow for sitting on the fence with him. Either you're with him or you're against him. It's all or nothing. Maybe it's because they lost a herd of pigs, you know, their, their hip pocket is kind of where they've been hit and they, you know, don't want this. Or maybe they're just, a little bit freaked out by someone who could overpower these men whom no one else could subdue. Whatever it is, they're not willing to let Jesus be the boss. Whatever fear it might be, whatever the hurdle, they're not willing to jump. Are you still stuck on one of those, one of those hurdles? unwilling yet to pay the cost of 
following Jesus. What will people think after all of these years, me saying I want to follow Jesus now? Or what will your family think? Maybe your friends won't take you seriously. Or you'll be kind of pushed out of your group. Maybe you just maybe you're just not ready to give up control yet. The control that you kind of think that you have over your life. What is there a hurdle that you're still stuck on? It's a cost that everyone's got to, to count. Thinking about what it means if I receive Jesus, receive the Lord. But can I urge you, if you're there now, if you're thinking about these hurdles and you're not sure about them, then can I urge you to keep looking at Jesus. Keep seeing who Jesus really is. Keep seeing him as the one who has all power and is willing to use it to serve you. See just how worthy of your faith he is. Sure, there's there's a cost, but what if he's worth it? What if he's really worthy of that cost? Let's think a little bit more about just this idea of a cost as a follower for Jesus. What's what's the cost for you? You know, back then, following Jesus when he walked on earth meant literally walking after him, walking with him, learning from him in that setting. They they left homes and families and sec- and security. It was a big thing. And the cost of commitment to Jesus now, cost of commitment to follow him, it might look a bit different. We're not walking around in in the Middle East. It might feel like it on some days when it's 46 or 7 or whatever it happened to be. But we still have to give up our lives. We still have to hold everything that God has given us with an open hand. It's not just a change of gears kind of from the normal lifestyle of those around us, but it's it's a, a ripping out of our old engine and a putting in of the new. Just like his disciples back then, we're called to, to squash those other fears, those other things we might trust in and let Jesus and faith in him trump them. So what do you still fear? Do you fear being laughed at? Do you feel fear being lonely? Do you fear not being in control? Do you fear whether God is really going to do what's good for you? Do you realise that facing these fears is part of the cost of following Jesus, part of what it means to follow him with everything? It'd be much easier to kind of just sort of forget about them, leave them on to the side, you know, the path of least resistance but can you see the, promise, the problem with that? When you let those fears stick around, when you try and ignore them but actually they end up controlling you, then, well, they become your master, not Jesus. Your fear has become your Lord. You've let it hop in the driving seat. 
what can we do about this? You know, Jesus demands total faith that as we follow him, but we we fail. And so let me say, say it loudly and clear. The answer to this is not just try harder. You know, isn't that what we often do? You know, just set our minds for things, make a commitment to something and try and knuckle down and do it. I'm sure you've tried it, I've tried it, but it it doesn't work in my experience. We always end up falling short, failing. In my experience, you and I are no match for those other fears that are around us. But Jesus is. The answer lies with him. We've got to see him more clearly and let him squash our fears. See again who Jesus really is. Know that he's worthy of it all. Appreciate his his power. Rejoice in his compassion like we saw last week as the one who reached out his hand to touch the untouchable. And we've got to repent, turn away, confess anything else that would take us away from him, that might try and master us. Let's just think about one fear. Maybe you worry about what people think about you at school, at work or kind of in your neighbourhood and you find it hard to stand up for being known as a Christian, to stand up for Jesus, to share that word about the way that Jesus has impacted your life or the way that it might impact someone else's life. Rather than kind of just, you know, trying to keep being bold, Start by acknowledging your fear to Jesus. Confess it to him. Come before him. That's an important first step. And then as you kind of confess that fear, notice just how much bigger Jesus is than whatever that fear is. Remember that it's Jesus' opinion, his opinion that counts for a lot more than whoever it is you're talking to. And remember that Jesus, he's actually going to be sitting in the judgment seat one day. And in fact, you and the person that you're talking to are going to be standing before that seat. Remember just how far Jesus went to not leave you with a guilty verdict but to give you the verdict of not guilty, acquitted by my blood. And remind yourself how Jesus faced opposition and how he promises to be with us, strengthening us through ours. Read it in the Bible. Talk about it with your Christian friends. Stand up and choose to let Jesus fight against those fears in your life. The cost of following Jesus, it might seem pretty radical. A whole of life commitment, facing real fears. But it's totally and completely 
worth it. Because Jesus, he is the one who uses his power to serve and he is worthy of everything. Amen.